The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, brought to you by Narcanon Suncoast. Okay, so welcome to the podcast. This is Joni Siegel, and I have with me my co-host... Jason Good. Here we are. Jason Good. And this is episode number 85, and it is a week from Thanksgiving. Last Thursday was Thanksgiving. Sorry, I'm laughing because my dog is in the studio today, and she's... She's very energetic right now. She's being a little demon dog. A demon dog. Anyway, um, you were saying about Thanksgiving. Yes, we eat too much. I'm still full from Thanksgiving. My mom's cooking is always really good, no matter like when you go there. And I ate way too much. I probably took in like about 10,000 calories and immediately had like buyer's remorse on like how much I ate. I'm like, oh God, I'm so fat. <laughs> I can't believe I just ate all that. And then the next day where I was going to leave, um, and my mom's like, oh, you should take all this with you. And I was like, no, I'm not going to eat it. She goes, we well, didn't like it. Oh. No, no, stop. <laughs> don't please don't go there. I was like, oh mom, don't lay the guilt on so thick. Um and I was like, I'm like, it's it's gonna be in the car and I got a four hour drive. I was like, no. Um Did you drive down there? Yeah, me and my girlfriend drove. Oh, cool. We drove down there. She met the family, which was kinda cool. Cool. Um, very nerve wracking for her. Of and, course. Uh, so and we spent the uh we went Wednesday midday, came back Friday morning and I went back on on post at Narcan on Friday evening because I'm like very, very determined to get people in treatment this holiday season. And I, and every year I harp on it every year, at least last year, we've talked about it. We've talked about it this year as well. Constantly. And it's, it, it's, it's you, most of the people, and I'll say this and people will find this very strange, but ordinarily it's not the addict that has the consideration of, I don't want to go to treatment before the holidays. It's usually the families of the addict. And I'm like, listen, the worst thing that can happen is that your loved one overdoses during the holiday season and forever moving forward, it's going to be the worst time of year for you. That's right. And we don't, we don't need that. No. At, at all. I mean, this is the time of year when people are like, what are you thankful for? Right. People have asked me, what am I thankful for? I'm thankful for having every day I wake up and get to come to work and help people find the way off drugs. I'm, right. I'm thankful for all the, the support we, we create on the podcast for people out there. I, and I'm thankful for Narcanon all that because without us, what are the options? It's pretty, right. it's pretty, uh, it's pretty limited out there and it's not, it's kind of like a grim outlook. And so that's, that's where I'm at. I'm thankful to have the resources that I have, that I create with you, and that we're out there helping people on a daily basis. Period. Exactly. And just another message for anybody listening. If you came through Thanksgiving with an addict, you know it wasn't a pleasant experience, which is what we've said over and over and over mm-hmm. again. And so you're if you're thinking, oh, we'll wait until after Christmas, we'll wait until after New Year's, just look ahead to those holidays and what they're going to be like. Even if there isn't an overdose, it's not going to be pleasant. As Jason said, the addict's going to be off trying to score while you're trying to have some kind of a family gathering. So forget waiting. There's yeah. no waiting in this in this scenario. It's just, it's not smart. And what you will do is you will regret not having done something to help the person. So do it now. Right. If, you, if you know somebody, do it now. Yeah. The the worst regret is not doing anything because you can't go back and, and do something after the fact. Exactly. Uh, and something I created, uh, which I think you and Steve are aware of, I created a Facebook group called Surviving Opioids mm-hmm. um, that kind of connected you know, the podcast and that group and that site with this thing I created. And I created this uh, 
surviving opioids group to bring everyone together as a place where they can share wins, successes, hope, resources, and just help each other and give support to each other. So anyone that's listening, you can go on Facebook and check out the surviving opioids group and uh, you know, add anything you wish to it. Yep. Um, I wanted... And if you get a good story on surviving yep. opioids, tell them that they are, you know, they're invited to do the podcast because we're always looking for stories on the podcast. And speaking of which, we've got a fascinating story today. I don't even really want to give a background on this fellow because he needs to tell the whole story Yeah, from mm-hmm. the success part to the failure part to where he is now. Right. And um, so I'm going to get him on the line. His okay. name is Lilo Brancato, mm-hmm. and I'm going to let him tell his story. Okay. So welcome to the podcast, Lilo Brancato. Is that how I say your name? Yes, that is correct. And yes, thank you for having me. Well, I think that whenever we get a story such as yours, that it will resonate with people who listen to the podcast. And then we get people calling in. And that's what we want is getting people to reach for some kind of help. Do you know? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So start from the beginning. Tell us your story at the high point and then kind of where it went from there. Okay. Well, you know, I was just, a, you know, average kid living in Yonkers, New York. I had just uh, finished 10th grade. Um, I was working at a law office, you know, filing and answering telephones. And during my summer vacation from 10th grade on July 5th, 1992, I was on Jones Beach. Um, now, I had heard about a Bronx tale that they were looking for, uh, you know, uh, you know, actors with no acting experience to play in, you know, with, you know, what Robert De Niro would make his directorial debut. Um, and, you know, like I heard about it, but I kind of shrugged it off and wasn't really, never took it serious because I just thought like me in a movie with De Niro, nah, that's not going to happen. Well, you know, um, I was on the beach one day. I was on the beach, on, like I said, on July 5th, 1992. I was in the water. There was a scout handing out flyers. And uh, that's when my brother came to get me out of the water because he had told the guy that I'd be perfect for the part. When, you know, upon seeing me, the guy, you know, automatically was like, wow, he definitely looks like De Niro can definitely pass for his son. So they invited me in uh, for an audition. I went there later on that night. Guy was blown away by my, you know, natural ability to act. Um, We exchanged numbers. He had put a couple of scenes on tape. A few days later, I get a call. Um... And I was invited down to New York City where Robert De Niro had his uh, his office down in Tribeca. Um, went down there and it was a really, you know, uh, it was a really rigorous, pro- you know, the process of just going down there and seeing like 30, 40 different kids in the room. You know, it was kind of intimidating, especially because, you know, I'd never seen anything like this, nor did I ever want to be an actor. I just kind of fell on my lap. So, you know, I, I and I kept getting called back. And back and back. And as I went, there would be less kids in the room. Um, got to a point when there was no one else in the room. I would just kept getting called back and back. And eventually one day I met De Niro. Um, you know, he expressed to me how, you know, content he was by what I was able to do. And that he wanted to work with me and, you know, see what happens. Um, you know, within a few weeks of working with De Niro, we had a screen test. Um, then eventually I, I, I got the part. I won the role. Um, you know, that was in the summer of 1992. Then by the fall of 92, we started shooting the film and on the set of, you know, the film, you know, obviously there was a lot of 
things that went on in my life. It was such a, you know, an amazing experience. And, you know, a lot comes with that. So, you know, that was the first time I had ever smoked pot was on the set of A Bronx Tale. Wow. You know, and early on, yeah, I was just a kid, you know, going out on the weekends with my friends, smoking pot, drinking liquor. Then I dabbled in some cocaine. And it was just, you know, then I, you know, my acting career continued. So I was going out to Los Angeles and, you know, all over the place to work. And I just saw, you know, I mean, the box deal was out. It was a huge success. And people just want to, like, be your friend. And who's got drugs. And there's just so much temptation that goes with that lifestyle. And, uh, you know, I definitely succumbed to it because, uh, you know, I, I realized early on that I did have, a, you know, a huge appetite for drugs. And, but I didn't know, I didn't have the experience or the foresight to know what was going to happen if I didn't cut it out early and I didn't, and uh, you know, I continued to work, but my drug addiction, you know, progressed to, you know, something much worse as time went on to the fateful night of December 10, 2005 with my ex-girlfriend's father going to a house in the Bronx to score some pills. The guy wasn't responding. I broke the window. A New York City police officer lived next door. Uh, he came out. You know, a gunfight ensued. I got shot. Stephen was shot. And Stephen shot the officer in the heart and uh, and killed him. And then we were both charged with murder. Um, it was a really, really dark time in my life. And by that point, I was a heroin addict. I was a, a crack cocaine addict. And it was just really bad. And then on top of all that, then, you know, someone dies at the hands of my addiction. And now, you know, I was charged with murder and in Rikers Island and just didn't think that life could get worse. Uh, you know, in 2006, the first year I was there, I continued to use. I overdosed in my cell, uh, November 12, 2006, and still continued to use. Then on November 18, 2006 was when I met, the, when I made the decision after receiving a, 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 a visit from my cousin and my friend Corey, who were lawyers, they were able to come on an attorney visit. And they expressed how disappointed they were in me that I was still getting high and, you know, no one knew about it. And that, that you know, you have all these people that love you and want to see you get through this and we're supporting you, but you make it really hard with the decisions that you're making. And uh, I don't know why. I mean, for some reason that day, something just clicked. And I just made the decision that night that I didn't want to get high anymore. Wow. And, uh, yeah. And then, you know, 2007, I was getting stronger every day. I was doing what I was supposed to do. I was going up to the law library, learning the law, just to give myself a better chance of fighting the case and the ability to help my lawyer help me. So then eventually, <clears throat> in 2008, toward the end, we went to trial. Lasted about a month. I was acquitted of all the top charges, but I was found guilty of uh, a... Uh, Attempted burglary in the first degree with serious physical injury to a non-participant. Sentenced to 10 years. Did 8 out of the 10. <clears throat> I was able to earn a uh, batch, uh, an associate's degree in business management. I got a time cut. I still remained sober. Um, you know, and I came home at the end of 2013. Stayed sober. You know, started up with my social media. And a lot of people looked, you know, up to me for inspiration because they saw that I was living proof that, you know, recovery actually does work and, and, and it's possible. Right. So once I saw that, it's like I had, you know, people that depended on me 
kind of to stay sober because it was like that. I was inspiring them to do the same thing. And I always felt if I failed, they would fail right behind me. So it was kind of like I did it for myself, obviously, but I also did it for them and I continued to do that. Um, you know, so I continued to do that. Someone took notice and uh, was hired by a company called Amitus Health. Uh, you know, we are a, a dual diagnosis and we provide treatment for those struggling with mental health and substance abuse disorders. Um, my title is I am a national outreach coordinator. Basically, I try to, you know, help people and get them into treatment through my social media. That's been going really well and just so rewarding hearing, you know, some kid's mother tell me, Lilo, you saved my kid's life. And, you know, it's beautiful. It's really a beautiful thing to to been given the strength by God to be able to make these things happen, you know, to change and touch the lives of others. There's no better feeling, no movie, no, you know, working with this actor. This is nothing better than than saving someone and helping someone else from your own experience. It's, it's a true blessing. And, you know, obviously I didn't see that, you know, nor did I know it was coming back then. I just thought like, you know, why did you do this to me, God? But now I see why. And it's a very special, special thing that he has done. And I embrace it more every day. And this is, you know, this is my true calling in life, you know? Wow. wow. That's a, it's, that's a very, it, it's quite a story. It's quite a, a moving yeah. story. And you um, you have since done a film, right? Yeah, I've done more than one. I've done a few films. But, I mean, there's a documentary. What is it called? Is it called? I did a di- Wasted Talent. Wasted Talent. It's out, yeah, it's out now. Verizon Files, DirecTV, Ubiquity Frontier, iTunes, Hulu, Voodoo, Fandango Now, Amazon Video, YouTube Movies. It's titled Wasted Talent. It's a documentary on my rise, fall, and road to redemption. And it's a must-see. Wow. You know. Huh. That's incredible. I have a question. Now, when you got into... I'm going to kind of redirect to the opioid crisis that we have currently. You were saying you're a heroin addict. What was your entry point into opioids? Uh, Well, in 2000... I was sniffing a lot of cocaine and I used to get like, you know, I used to experience the cocaine psychosis to get really paranoid. And I remember one night jumping out of a car doing 60 miles an hour because I was afraid the guys in the car were going to kill me. But meanwhile, they were my friends. And I remember getting staph infection in my head and getting really banged up bad. And then after the staph infection, the doctor prescribed narcotic pain medication, which I had no clue how dangerous they were. And I started taking them, and then I just couldn't stop taking them. It's like I needed them every night to sleep, and then I would increase the dosage. And before you know it, I was taking 60 a day. That's incredible. Wow. And then the tolerance goes up so fast. Yeah. And- oh, my God. It's, it's, it's unreal. It's unreal that these things even exist, and they're made by the, you know, like, you did, like, you know, ph- this pharmaceutical companies sell these drugs. They've ruined the lives of so many. Yep. And did anyone tell you before you took them the potential side effects of what you could experience? No. Absolutely. Because, you know, this was back in 2000 and the opioid. Just starting. It didn't really start then. I think everyone was a little naive and uneducated about, you know, that whole thing and how dangerous they were. Yeah. And oxys were everywhere. I mean, you you, you could throw a rock and hit three people. They all had oxy for sale. Right. And it was one of those, right. it was one of those things, especially you were in New York at the time, right? 
Right. Yeah. So up there is when it really started to kick off and heroin started to come in and then, you know, fentanyl started getting mixed with heroin. It kind of went off from there. Now, let me ask you this. What was, um, what, what, what is it that keeps you sober on a daily basis? I know you're helping people and that's your, your purpose in life. And trust me, I get that because my purpose in life is the same thing. I want to help people. I want to get people clean. I want to get people into treatment, but what is it that you do on a daily basis that puts your recovery forward and helps keep you clean? You know, I got to be honest with you. I mean, I just like, it's, I just put it in my mind. I just don't want to do that anymore. You know, do you like, do you go to meetings? Me personally? No, no, I don't either. I don't, I personally don't believe in meetings. I think, you know, maybe for the newcomer, but I don't think like after you're sober for, you know, a, a substantial amount of time that you need to go and hear that. I know it's about the newcomer and helping the newcomer. But you can't help someone else almost if you can't help yourself, you know. And when you're in these meetings and, like, you know, you're sober 12, 13, 14 years and, you know, you, you have these newcomers come in and they're talking about getting high, you know, the week before, I just don't think that's productive. I don't see it as being productive. I just, like, you know, it's been so long. I don't really do much. I just live my life sober. It's like, you know, I've seen so many beautiful things come to fruition as a result of my sobriety, it's like, why would I even want to go back? And people are like, Lilo, do you have urges? I'm like, no, I don't. I just know better now. Yeah. You know, like, you know, it's like, I think it's a disease to a certain extent. You know, I mean, it all stems from the prefrontal cortex part of your brain where rational thought happens and, you know, consequential thinking. And I think, you know, early on when you're in the grips, of course, that, that level, you know, I mean, that part of the brain doesn't function properly so of course you're going to make you know impulsive decisions and you don't think consequences so of course but it's like i'm like sober so long that my consequential thinking just that part of the brain just functions at a much higher level than where it used to function i feel like it's it's a muscle and i've worked it out for so long and i flexed it in so long it's gotten so strong that there's no way that I'm going to go back. I, I just don't, you know, like, I don't know. You go to meetings, it's like almost they tell you that it's okay to relapse. Just keep coming back. I don't believe in that. The it's relapse, not okay to relapse. Yeah, relapse, relapse is part, part of, of recovery. Rehab. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> part of recovery. We we think that's kind of bogus, that whole viewpoint of relapse well, being part of recovery. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's why a lot of people do relapse because they know they're going to go back and have the support system. Right. And I just don't like those principles. It doesn't make sense. It's not okay to relapse. It's not. Right. Especially if you have five plus years, why would you go back? Yeah. Can't you see how much better your life is? Just don't do it anymore. You yeah. know? And, you know, like people like us, we're here to help you. Yep. And just don't, I mean, this, you know, it's as simple as that. When you're in the grips, like I said, you don't have that consequential thinking. That's right. So, yes. Right. But, you know, after five years, that, brain, that part of the brain, after saying no so many times, it's got to be so much stronger. I know it is for me. Like, I, like, you know what I mean? I would never even think about getting high again. Ever. Ever. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It becomes a lifestyle choice. Yeah. It's a lifestyle choice. Yeah. And I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, whether it comes from the brain or whether it is a more spiritual thing, we could argue that all day. But I think the point is, it all starts with some kind of a decision. And, you know, once once you're clean, you make that decision every day to stay clean and to stay sober because your life is so much better 
you know, and I think that, I think that, you know, you hit the nail on the head um, with the fact that it starts with decisions. That's what, Mm -hmm. that's what Jason explains to addicts when they come to Narcanon is that, you know, you've just made some bad decisions and we're going to help you with that, you know, so that you can get to the point where you don't need to make those bad decisions, you know. You're absolutely right because it's, you know, it takes one second to get into trouble and a lifetime to get out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, decision-making is, is the key to life. Yep. Every decision is going to put you in a different place. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, you know, I, I got a nephew, two nieces, and, you know, like, I love them. They're little babies. They're two years old. They're twins, the girls. And then I have my nephew, six. Like, if I make that choice to go get high again, I'm going to lose that part of my life. That's right. You mm-hmm. know, my brother's not going to want me to be around the kids high the way I used to be. That's and I right. don't blame him. So, like, why would I go do that? Like, just think the consequences. Yeah. There's consequences to everything you do, whether they're good or bad, you know? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Lilo, I have a question, just because I'm curious. You said, that, I'm going to take you back now. You said that you started smoking dope on the set of A Bronx Tale. Who was it that introduced you to marijuana? Not, not. I don't want a name. I mean, like, was it one of the crew members? Was it a fellow cast member? Oh, yeah, it was a fellow cast member. Okay. Uh, it was a guy named Phil Garbarino. He was the one who shot Sonny at the end of the movie. Oh. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I'm just curious about that because I know you, you said that that's where you started. And, yeah. Okay. So... You've got this film now, Wasted Talent, and that tells your story. Um, are you doing any kind of? Do you do like any public speaking to get the to get your story out, or is it primarily your social media? No, I do. Uh, I do. I, I'm speaking at an event on Saturday night in Maryland for the company I work for. I mean, you know, you know, Mike DeLeon. Yep. He. Uh, you know, he's uh, sets me up with, you know, speaking at different schools. Like I was at Sayreville High School in New Jersey a few weeks back. And we plan on doing a lot more of that. I was kind of restricted because I was on parole. So it's not as easy as just going where I want to go. Right. But now that I'll be on parole, I can travel, you know, to wherever I want. And, you know, we're going to get rocking and rolling with that because I, I think it's very important that people hear my story, you know. Absolutely. So you're you're done with parole? No, New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve. Okay. Oh, that's a great way to ring in the New Year. Yeah. So then you are able to. Absolutely. Yeah. So then you're able to travel more. It's like a whole new chapter with your life. Well, we um, we interviewed Mike DeLeon, and um, of course, that was how we found you was through Mike right. and his wife. But um, I know that you know it's going to be good that you team up with him because he's he's really making quite a difference with all of the education that he does in the schools and such and i think i think you'll do really well at that and i it's got to be rewarding to get in front of kids because they'll listen to you you know no they do yeah. they do that's why you know like if they didn't i don't even know if i would like i'm not that it's a waste of time but they do listen, believe me. Like when I start talking, like in the beginning, they're a little sidetracked. But once I start talking about like, you know, gunshots and stuff like that and where the drugs took me, yep, they come and then, then their ears perk up and they start to really listen. And then when I'm done, you, you'd be amazed all the kids asking questions, how interested they are. Yep. And then, you know, the beautiful thing, it really is. That's, that's what it's all about. Yeah. You know? 
That's awesome. So if uh, if the listeners wanted to find you on social media, is it just through your name or do you have a special page? It's um, Lilo. Yeah, on, on Instagram, it's Lilo underscore Broncado. So that's L-I-L-L-O underscore B-R-A-N-C-A-T-O. Lilo Broncado. Perfect. And now are you primarily Instagram or are you Facebook as well? I have Facebook as well. Uh, it's my name, and it's the one because there's like four or five different ones. It's me with the suit on. That's the real one. Okay, fair enough. Well, I really appreciate you sharing your story. Every my story, pleasure. every story is different, but every story is basically the same. And you know, I understand how bad it got, and. But when you come out the other side and you're able to help people, I think I think that's what in, what's important is not so much what happened in the past, but where you're at now and what you will do going forward. And I think that that's really what's important. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And you know, like I said, I'm going to be a lot. It's going to be a lot easier for me to move around in a few weeks, and yep. I'm going to be much more in, in doing this. Awesome. Awesome. We'll have a, a great holiday season with your family. One of the things that Jason and I push so heavily this time of year for anybody listening is that if you have a friend or a loved one who is an addict, don't wait until after the holidays to get them into treatment. Do it now. Would it be okay if I if I gave them a phone number? Absolutely. Um, it's Amateur's Health and it's eight and you know, call, you know, 24 hours a day, if you or someone that is close to you struggling with mental health, substance abuse disorders, call us, please. 866-214-9189. Awesome. Lilo, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, I think your story is a great one. Um, It was great talking to you, and keep up the good work. And once again, very happy holidays to you. Same to you and your families. Thank you so much for this opportunity. So I thought that was a really, really good story. I think, um, you know, I mean, you hear from someone like Lilo who is making a movie with Robert De Niro, of all things, and then, you know, gets started on the path to addiction. And the same way a lot of people get on opioids. Yep. He got a prescription, didn't ask questions, got on it and it was game over. Yep. And he got he, he was in it right in the beginnings of the opioid crisis. That's right. That's exactly when I first tried my first Oxycontin. Yeah. And it was, and I, was, I know I said it during the interview with him, but it was like, you could throw a rock and hit like three or five people all had Oxycontin either to give you or to sell you or were using it or whatever. And it was so prevalent that it was hard not to get into it. And it was used so casually. That was the problem I thought is that people would casually, casually be like, Hey, you want an, an, an OC 80? And you're like, yeah, why not? And it's like, to, and you don't understand like how strong these drugs are that you're just messing around with. Yep. And, um, he was in the Northeast too. And so was I, and I saw this whole thing just like, just get worse and worse and worse and worse. Yep. Um, and his story is great because there's recovery and hope at the end of it. That's right. There's He's giving his life over to helping people come out of what he went through. That's right. And, and he's going to work with Mike DeLeon. And we know yeah. that Mike goes to all kinds of schools and, you know, is teaching kids about yeah. why not to do drugs. Sure. And, you know, like I say, it's like, you know, horrible things happened in his past. Horrible things happened in Michael's past. But it's like, 
what do you do with that? What are you doing with it now? And how are you moving forward? Because like in the Narcanon program, you get the students there to, yes, confront what happened in the past, but end on that mm-hmm. and be more in the present. And then before they leave, start really looking forward, uh, looking ahead to their future. And I think that that's really what's important because I know that I read a couple articles about Lilo and he's, you know, there are a lot of people that are really mad at him <laughs> because it was a cop that was killed. And I understand that. But at some point, he's got to be able to move forward and that's what he's doing. Right. We yeah. all go through things in life. That's the thing. There's not one person on this planet that hasn't had something profound happen to them at, yep. th- at some degree. And you've got two choices when it comes to that. You can either be a victim of it and just let it run your life and ruin your life and you know push you into drugs and despair and apathy and all those things. Or you could take a causative stance on it, see what you can be responsible for Look at it for what it is kind of objectively and move forward because one option obviously is way better than the other. That's right. And staying apathetic and like, oh, poor me. Look at all these things that happened to me. I just got to you know, continue using drugs because I don't know how to deal with it. Well, it's like I understand that that thought process, but also know that you can deal with it. You just got to have the right way to do it. And that that goes for everything in life. We can either be a victim of circumstances and blame everyone else for what's going on with us. Or we can say, I'm responsible for this part of it. That much I can own, and that part I can use to move forward. And it's either one or the other. You can't have it both ways. You can't, you just can't. You can't have sobriety, recovery, and a good life while blaming everyone around you and all the things that happen to you for your problems. That's right. That's the whole thing that people really need to understand. And that's why I really want to drive home with people is that, Recovery, one of the biggest things in recovery is ultimate responsibility. Yep. Regardless if someone completely wronged you, you were a complete you know, victim of circumstance and stuff like that. It's those very things that you carry with you that will then drive your addiction further and further and further and further. But we, a big thing we teach the students and even the staff, it's like, look at what you can be responsible for. That's look right. Look at your part in everything because I'm of the firm belief that no matter what we go through in life, we all have some responsibility in everything. And so once you can assume that role and you have the responsible person in the equation, once you can have that you can move forward you can be sober that's right and that and that's where and that's kind of where it goes and yeah lilo has definitely had a rough life yeah mike de leon has definitely had a rough life yep. i have had rough things happen to me as i'm sure you have too and everyone yep. else on the planet goes through things but the thing is is rising above it moving forward and using that to help other people yeah it's like what are you doing now what are you doing going forward i want to say once again i will beat this on every podcast especially between now and New Year's Eve, get your friends and loved ones into treatment now. If they miss Christmas dinner or Hanukkah celebrations or New Year's Eve, you know that they're going to be on the road to recovery. And if you don't and you have them be around because you can't consider sending them to treatment before the holidays, it's a mistake. It's going to be a mistake every year We're going to talk about it every year. We're going to talk about it every week from now until the end of the year because you need to get them in treatment now. I want to know how many people out there, loved one, didn't show up for Thanksgiving. And if you're listening and you're out there and you have a loved one that's addicted 
and they didn't show up for Thanksgiving. And the reason I say that is I've got multiple, multiple I can't even talk. <laughs> I got multiple phone calls this week from families who said, and you know what? They didn't even show up to Thanksgiving dinner. That is your indicator that something def- desperately needs to get handled. Desperately. And that it was not a good idea to wait until after Thanksgiving. No. Okay. Don't wait until next week to call the 877 number that I gave in the middle of the podcast, that you'll get at the end of the podcast, don't wait to call. Call now and get help, okay? Because the people at Narconon are just there to help. And when you call that number, you're going to get to talk to someone who is just there to help. And what better gift to give for Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Christmas than the gift of sobriety? Yeah. No and call, call me personally. I'm there. I'm at the center. If you want to talk to me, call me at the center. If you had a loved one that didn't show up for Thanksgiving, you're concerned, call me. I'll, we'll see what we can do. At least I can give you some information to move forward to you know, make the best decision possible to help them. That's right. Um, 877-339-3324. And you'll get through to Jason. Mm-hmm. There you go. Just ask for me. So that's it for the podcast today. We are going to be talking again next week. Awesome. And we'll keep dinging in the message over and over again the message yep and if you liked this interview with lilo let us know on the facebook page and everybody have a great week we'll see you next week yep you have been listening to the addiction podcast point of no return for more information call 877-339-3324 or visit www.narcononsuncoast.org narconon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of l ron hubbard 